know, the bigger you go, the easier it is to hire property managers and the more that the property can um, absorb that cost, which just frees you up to, you know, look for more properties, which has been a huge lifesaver for me. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Hey everyone, welcome to House Hacking Success. Today we had Chad Duvall on the show. Chad is an excellent example of all the successful real estate investors that have started out by house hacking. Chad's going to talk about how he found his first house hack, how he was able to finance it with a USDA loan. He paid $0 on this house. He actually got $500 back at closing. So he's going to talk a little bit about that, how you could use the USDA loan and how his closing costs were covered. He went straight from that house hack to commercial real estate investing. He's going to talk about the advantages of commercial real estate investing, how he was able to finance those deals, and what he likes about commercial real estate investing. This is a really good episode. It's really informative. He's also going to talk about how you can build your team, how you find the right realtor, how you find the right contractor. This is a very informative episode. I think you're going to enjoy. What's up, everybody? It's Brad from House Hacking Success. And today I want to talk to you about my absolute favorite real estate app, which is Landlordy. If you're anything like me, you're an action taker and a doer, which means that administrative work gets in the way of our progress. I am horrible at keeping track of receipts, keeping track of the safety checks I need to do and routine checkups on my properties and keeping tabs on my tenants and the lease renewals and keeping tabs where my leases are. And Landlordy is an absolute lifesaver for me. With Landlordy, you can manage information about your properties, your tenants, keep contact information and documents easily accessible at your fingertips, no matter where you are in the world. If you're a traveler like I am, you can find this information on the beach and get the information to the people that need it. You can track your expenses in seconds, keep them organized, Use device camera to add expense receipts in seconds, which is absolutely amazing. Landlordy will remind you on your landlord duties like late rent payments, upcoming lease renewals, or appliance safety checks. Manage your business on the road or from the beach. Keep your rental business and related documents a few touches away day or night with Landlordy. Start managing your rental business on your iPhone or iPad. Go to landlordy.com forward slash house hacking. For 30% off Landlordy Plus, which is absolutely amazing. I personally use it. Go there today for house hacking success listeners only. Welcome to the show, Chad. Uh, we're excited you're here. Uh, we know you from Instagram and your podcast. You put out a lot of great content. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background and what got you started in real estate? Hey, man. Yeah, and thanks for having me. I, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to talk to you guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, so go back about seven years and, uh, you know, as you as your show is titled, uh, you know, house hacking. That's that's basically the uh, the story of how I started in real estate. Um, you know, a little bit further back than that, I guess. I mean, I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire. Um, did the classic, you know, go to college, uh, find a job, um, that sort of thing. And I graduated in '08, which everybody knows now. Back then, the you know housing market and everything crashed at that time. So I graduated in '08, got a job in finance, and three months after being in that job, they ended up closing the, the bank down and I was kind of jobless. So 
I went on and searched for other jobs and ended up in um, in aerospace, which kind of brought me around different parts of the country. And I kind of followed the money and followed job opportunities until um, I made my way out. So I moved out to California, moved to Miami, moved up to Connecticut. Like I said, I was following the money at the time um, in aerospace. And when I moved back towards the uh, the Northeast, um, I ended up finding a, a decent stable job um, that I thought was stable. But after being at that job for a couple months, I realized that I was pretty much the uh, the least smart or <laughs> I just didn't feel like I was bringing enough value to the company. I felt like I could be replaced at any time. Um, I was a, a product analyst at that time for the year uh, for this company. And so with that feeling, I ended up looking for alternatives to uh, supplement some sort of income just in case, you know, I was to get fired or something was to happen. And, you know, going through the 08 crash, um, it seemed, you know, it kind of wakes you up. You know, you, you want to make sure that you're diversified and you're not relying on one solid uh, income stream. So I ended up, uh, you know, stumbling upon bigger pockets and Mr. Money Mustache and started getting into financial independence and fire and all that stuff and um, started pursuing real estate. And then, um, yeah, I mean, long story short, I ended up, my first property was in Connecticut. It was a, um, a three, two with a, um, a partially finished basement that I ended up converting into a separate unit and then moved into that unit and rented up the, uh, the upstairs. So, um, a little bit long winded there, but that's basically how I got started in, in real estate. Awesome. So how did you end up finding that first house hack and what'd you do to finance it? Um, so the first, so actually I got that right off of MLS. Um, what I did is I, uh, I offered at full asking price. I paid 189,000 for it. Um, and the reason I, I did that was because, um, at the time my uncle was doing the financing for me, um, the same uncle who I worked with, um, during the 08 crash and he ended up losing his job. I was working for him at the time at that bank and, um, you know, full circle as I was looking for this property, I reached back out to him and said, Hey, what can I do for financing? And he had brought the, um, the USDA rural development loan product to me, which was basically hundred percent financing. If you can qualify for the, for the loan. And the only major restriction was, um, a geographical, um, location. You have to be in a certain geographical part of the state where the USDA is trying to build up. Um, so, um, this property, was in that geographical area and it qualified for the USDA loans. It f- falls in with the, um, the F- FHA requirements, basically. If they're, they're very, very similar, um, just managed by different um, organizations in, in the government. But yeah, I found on MLS and uh, yeah, like I said, I, I um, offered full price. And the reason, going back to that, the reason I did full price is because my uncle had told me that if you do full price, can try and do is get them to roll in there. Um, they can pay for all of the closing costs and just wrap that into the loan. So that's what I ended up doing. I um, went back to them and negotiated a few few extra things, like um, they replaced the liner of the chimney and a few other things. Um, but then they paid all the closing costs. So um, at the at the closing table, I actually ended up getting a check for like five hundred bucks or something like <laughs> the way that it all worked out. But uh, highly recommend that USDA loan because it's a uh, you know, hundred, hundred percent financing and a really easy way to get in. Yeah. That, that's awesome. You know, 0% down and then you found a way to get them to cover the closing costs too. Mm-hmm. So you're getting in this house making $500. Yeah. Um, so the USDA loan, uh, they have a map online where you can, you know, look up the areas and figure out if that area that you're looking at qualifies. Uh, is there anything else that potential house hackers should know about that loan? 
Um, so the, the main thing is, is very similar, like I said, to the FHA, there is a, um, a one year owner occupancy, um, requirements. So you have to live in the property for one year. Um, when I bought this property, I knew that there was an occupancy requirement. However, I didn't realize it was only one year when I bought it. I was like, Oh, I'm stuck in this thing forever. I got what if I have to move, but, um, I ended up reading, uh, the ABCs of real estate by Ken McElroy and, um, while I was going through the pro- this process, I read the book and he had mentioned that FHA loans, there's an owner occupancy requirement, but you can move after 12 months. So that got me thinking and I went through all of my loan documents and finally found that clause. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah. Only 12 months. So that time it kind of like changed my, my mentality. And uh, so you can kind of like recycle that loan if you wanted to, if you just refinance after that first year and move out. Okay. So you just have to refinance and do a conventional and then you can use that USDA loan. Uh, it's the same case for the FHA. So like you said, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was that like? You got into your first house hack. Um, how did things lead up to doing your next deal? Well, when you get your, uh, your first rent check, um, you, it kind of, again, it was another epiphany where it kind of changes your, your perspective on things. You're like, holy crap, somebody's giving me 1500 bucks to move into my house, you know, and I'm <laughs> stairs. Um, so that, I mean, real simply, it just kind of got me hooked just getting that first rent check. You know, I was like, yeah, here we go. Now I'm finally diversifying some income here instead of just solely relying on my, my nine to five. Very cool. Um, so since that first deal, um, could you tell us a little bit about other deals that you've done since? Sure. So from, from that deal, um, that was in Connecticut. I, um, so I'll give you a little de- details about that again. So I, I bought it. It was a pretty nice house. It was, um, all redone in the kitchen, everything like that. And like I said, the, the basement was completely, um, a, a big walkout basement that kind of was partially finished, but not a hundred percent. Um, and I kind of had a little bit of a competitive advantage because my dad is a contractor. So me and him would work, I think it took us like four or five months, you know, nights and weekends. And we kind of, you know, finished the basement, put a bathroom in, put a small little kitchenette in. And, uh, and then I moved into that. And then from there, you know, because I was hooked, I was always looking at real estate and there was two areas where I was looking, I was looking in a small town in New Hampshire where I grew up, was very familiar with every road. I have a lot of connections, you know, between my dad's uh, construction friends and people that I know in the industry. Um, so I was, I felt very confident to look in that area. It's not the best economics, but I felt at that time, the, um, the value in knowing the street by street was very important. So I was looking in that town, um, as long, you know, along with the Connecticut area that I was living, cause I was becoming familiar with that area too. So, um, nights and weekends, I was looking, looking on MLS again, um, as much as I can. And, uh, stumbled across a nine unit in that town in New Hampshire, knew exactly where it was. Um, I ended up buying, it was a nine unit for 420,000, I think. And a lot of the rents were a little bit low. I think they were like 15 or 20% lower than the market rents. And, um, needed some updating and that sort of thing. And again, I had some competitive advantage in the sense that my dad is a contractor. So I was able to help, you know, he was able to help me pay him a little bit here and there, but being my father, he was just happy to help. So he kind of helped me with that, with the finances of, of all the construction and stuff. So we went in and yeah, rehabbed all of the, um, all of the units, light rehabs. I mean, like two to 4,000 a, a unit, I'd say it's all flooring, um, countertops, paint, that sort of thing. Not, nothing too crazy. Um, and then got all of the rents up to, uh, to market rent. And, uh, you know, that was a big step from just the, the house hacking to a nine unit and, uh, definitely dove 
you know, head first into that and learned a lot through that process because it's a lot different to manage a commercial property than, than a house hack, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's so cool. Like we hear this time and time again, like, you know, everyone is a little hesitant for that first property, that first house hack. And then you get into it. And like you were saying, it's just like, it's almost like addicting. Like mm-hmm. you're seeing this rent coming in, you're seeing how much you're saving and then you want to do another deal and you want to, you want to go do another deal. And it's not nearly as scary. Like the second deal is so much easier. And you took a big jump and went right into a nine unit, which I think is amazing. Well, yeah. And I, I forgot to mention too. And the reason I looked, I was looking actually to get into commercial real estate only because at the time when I was house hacking, there was two major things that I learned through that process. A, I want nothing to do with living on a property with my tenants there. Like, cause I was being, you know, not harassed, but every time you see them, you're like, oh man, what are, what are they going to ask me to fix it? <laughs> You know, I remember getting a text, Hey, we have a light bulb out. Can you fix it? And I was like, you know, this is, this is obnoxious. So that's why I was like, okay, well, I, I don't want to live on the property. So that's why I looked for, um, for commercial. And, uh, and then also too, I mean, there was a lot of other things that I learned. I mean, I accidentally left one of the, my doors open and was broken into. And I mean, so it wasn't all, you know, roses and all, you know, everything was positive the whole time, but, um, through that process, it was a very good learning process. And that's why, again, I moved into more commercial and offsite and, you know, able to have a, I had a building manager that handled the day to day and, um, I wasn't getting phone calls 24 seven or text messages and that sort of thing. So. Cool. Yeah. Uh, house hacking is a lot like having training wheels Yeah. Um, as far as investing, cause it, it is co- convenient and nice that everything's there, but like, you said if you're getting bothered every day, that could be an issue. Um, so if someone wanted to get into commercial real estate investing, what, what would that initial first step be for them? <sighs> Put in offers. Put in offers. And actually, that's another huge learning experience. Because right now, I'm actually in the process of selling that house hack. And just putting in offers, it's so weird. I don't know if it's just my property, but nobody puts in offers if they don't think it's a good deal with a, like a regular residential property, at least in my experience so far. Whereas when you're dealing with (laughs) apartment buildings, you have investors who know the game and they're not emotional. They know that they can fix things and they're just throwing offers at the wall, you know, and seeing what sticks. Um, So, I mean, I, I think that's, that would be the number one thing that I would suggest people to do is just put in offers, you know, run the numbers, whatever you think it's worth just put in an offer. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, most investors are, they understand the game. So definitely do that. Okay, cool. Um, so do you have any other advice for uh, people who haven't began real estate investing besides putting offers? Like what else could they do to get started? Um, maybe to mitigate that fear of that initial first deal. And <laughs> what mistakes do you see newbies making when they do start investing? Well, the, I mean, the first thing that give you the most confidence, I think, is to get pre-qualified for, you know, a USDA, FHA, um, if you decide to do the house hacking thing, you know, which I really, I really think, like you said, it's a, it's a very good option for a lot of people because it is kind of investing with training wheels. So go to the banks and, and see if you can get qualified and see what you have to work with. Once you have that, then you know what you can look for. And um, I mean, it doesn't affect the, the number. Well, it does affect the numbers um, too, because you don't know what your rates are and what your monthly payments are. But if you can go get pre-qualified for, for the mortgage, um, that should be at least give you the confidence to start putting in offers because you know, you can, you can fund it, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, that's not something you want to wait till you're looking at houses to do or till after, like you don't want to go look at a house and, Mm-hmm. see that you can't afford it. Like then you go talk to a lender and you know, you don't have enough or whatever to mm-hmm. be able to get that property. So th- that's a great point. That's a great first step. 
Yeah, um, what about like deal at that point? It might actually deflate, you know, them a little bit too. You know, it kind of takes the wind out of their sails if they go through all that process and then they ha- get hit with that. Then they're like, oh man, it's a lot tougher than I thought. You know, is there any mistakes that you see people make that our listeners could try to avoid? Hmm. Mistakes, man. Where can where do I begin? I mean, there's all kinds of mistakes. <laughs> I mean, one of the ones that comes top of mind. I think I even did an Instagram post about this. Is make sure that you get um, all of the previous bills. Like if you're going to buy a property, you go to closing, make sure that the previous owner brings receipts that all of the utilities, all of the taxes, all of uh, every expense to that property has been paid in full up to that date. Cause I've gotten burned at least in my last property. I, um, I got stuck with like a $4,000 water bill that they hadn't paid in like a year. So, um, they promised that they were going to pay it and bring the receipt to closing. And somehow we missed it at closing and I got stuck with it and had to go through, you know, litigation and that sort of thing to kind of get some sort of reimbursement on that. But that would be like, that's one random thing that I can think of that I know I screwed up on that, you know, is top of mind. Cool. That's a, that's great advice. Um, what do you think people should look for when they're building their team? Um, as far as finding the right real estate agent and finding the right lender. Um, so that's a, it's kind of a tough one because, um, when I first got started, it it was definitely tough. Um, but I think the more you court somebody or become friends with people, the easier it is to do business with them. I don't necessarily prescribe to the fact of, you know, being partners with family and friends, at least yet. I've, I've not had any good experiences with that, but, um, I think building a team has to do a lot around trust and building trust comes with time spent with that person. You know what I mean? You got to really get to know them. So take your realtor out to lunch once a month, you know, just say, I'm going to take you to lunch. We can shoot the shit or talk about some properties that I'm looking at. You know, what do you think? And kind of court them and don't force things too fast. That That's definitely something that I would suggest. Awesome. Yeah. Just building those relationships and, uh, and it, takes, know, it, it takes a lot of time. You know, I've been doing this seven years now and I finally am starting to feel like, oh, OK, I got people I can call. I got p- people on my team that I trust. And it did. I didn't feel like that a couple of years ago, you know. So you'd recommend finding a real estate agent that you'd like to keep around. So if you go do other deals, you, know, you want to be able to call them up, work with them and get to know each other. Yeah, it was something that I always did. Every time I hired somebody in the back of my mind, I was like, do I trust them enough to give them more business in the future? If I didn't, then I would never call them again. You know what I mean? And what I also found is, at least for um, my contra- my contractors, I found one extremely good contractor, like a general contractor. And once I found him, he was able like, able to suggest all the other contractors needed, like electricians and plumbers and everything like that. Because, um, And I trusted him because you're so good. And usually when you have a good contractor, all the other good contractors kind of swim in the same, you know, same direction or all the same. Right. You know what I mean? So um, that's another little tip too. Once you find one good person, take care of them and hold on to them. And then they will actually bring other people to your team that actually you can trust, you know? Cool. Um, so on the note of contractors, what would you suggest maybe to find that first good one? You got to kiss a lot of frogs. <laughs> I remember when I first started, I used like Angie's list. Um, I, I think that's actually how I found my, my general contractors through Angie's list. Um, 
And then my plumber, I found through my dad who, you know, had a really good working relationship with this plumber and stuff like that. So those are my two main ones. And then from there, they were able to suggest everybody else. But yeah, I mean, I, Angie's list. And I think there's another, there's another site out there too, that I've used in the past for like my plow guy and stuff like that. But, um, and, and you can ask, I mean, you can even ask your realtors and stuff like that. I mean, they always are dealing with these people too. So, you know, ask your realtors, use Angie's list. Um, those are, those are two ways that I've, I've used. Awesome. That's a great point. And you know, once you find someone good, you find a good realtor, you find mm-hmm. a good contractor, they're going to know other people that are just as good, you know, like, like you said, they all kind of swim in the same boat, like mm-hmm. rock stars hang with rock stars. So Definitely. hold on to that good contractor realtor when you find them. Um, so could you talk a little bit about, you had that deal, you did a nine unit deal after your first house hack. Could you talk a little bit about what kind of deals you did after that nine unit and what you learned? Cause you know, that was your first step into commercial real estate investing. Mm-hmm. So what you learned and how it empowered you to do the next deals. Yeah. So, um, from there I went and, uh, this April, I just bought a 15 unit. Um, and again, it's, I like the commercial side of things because you're able to, you're, you're able to control the value. You know, everything is numbers, NOI, everything comes down to NOI. You're able to force appreciation. So I was able to buy the 15 unit because we forced appreciation of that nine unit and then rolled, did a cash out refi and then rolled that into the 15 unit. Um, and that's my strategy now is to do that with the 15 unit. We're getting ready to refi that now because we've had it for almost a year. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I just love being able to go in and actually get paid for what you do. Whereas residential, like I, the, the property I'm trying to sell in Connecticut, like you can paint everything, you can do all this stuff, but people still come in there and nitpick everything and don't want to pay prices, you know, whereas um, with these, these commercial properties, it's so much easier to control things because it all comes down to the NOI. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I moved into a 15 unit, it's th- 13 units and a two unit all in the same property that shares one driveway. Um, uh, bought that for 670,000, um, got in there, had to evict almost every single person in there. Uh, one of the biggest drug Lords in the state of New Hampshire was living in our property. Yeah. Yeah. We had the FBI there breaking down doors, drug raids, all this stuff. I had no idea when I bought this property. <laughs> it was like two weeks after we bought it. Um, so, I mean, yeah. So as much as it's a lot of trouble, it's um, I got a really good property manager. Again, I got that through referrals of some other friends um, in the industry. Um, and, uh, and, and they're able to handle a lot of that. So I'm able to focus on a lot of other projects, you know, so it's, it's really good. So yeah, I went, I went from, yeah, the two, or it was a single family to a two unit to a nine to now a 15. So. Awesome. Um, so what, uh, what's your favorite uses for financing those properties? Seller financing. Yes. Yeah, so, financing. Yeah, so the nine unit actually was a seller financing deal. Um, I had to come up with 20% down. Um, actually, no, I only came up with. I don't really remember the details of it, but it was less than 20%. I think it was only around 10% um, because they were, the property had been sitting on the market forever. It was like a year. Um, but yeah, seller financing is a really good option. Um, I always just look, especially when I'm looking on the MLS or looking on Craigslist or anything like that. I just literally keyword search seller financing, uh, owner financing, that sort of thing, and, and look at, at properties that way. Um, it just makes it so much easier. You know, you don't have to go through all these appraisals and um, all the red tape of, of banks. However, you know, now that I've done a, a couple of deals with a bank, it's a little bit easier, but at, at the beginning, you know, with a lot of your, a lot of your audience that, you know, either just getting their feet wet or they haven't done a deal yet. So um, yeah, I would, I would just highly suggest, I mean, highly suggest looking for 
of seller financing deals, but they're probably a little bit harder to find now because, you know, we're, the markets are pretty, pretty tight right now. So. Yeah. So, so you found these deals, you're searching for them and, and the owner initially wanted to do seller financing. Yeah. They actually advertised it that way. So that was a huge incentive for me because then at that point it's like, okay, all I have to do is just sell them on my credibility. You know what I mean? At that point I'd done a, you know, a small little deal. I had some good references. I had really good credit, you know, that sort of thing. So they looked at my stuff and said, okay, let's do it. You know? Um, so yeah, and I just refied them out in, in April and uh, like I said, I rolled that into the 15 unit. So that's awesome. Yeah. That, that's cool that, you know, you find those properties where they're actually advertising it mm-hmm. and you don't have to, you know, argue or explain why it might be the better option for them. Right. And it ends up being a great option for you. Yeah. And I've, not, I've, I've tried that route and I haven't had much luck with it. It's, it's really, uh, at least with the smaller units. I mean, you're getting, if you're getting into larger commercial properties, like, again, it's a whole different mindset because they're investors, so they understand it a little bit more. But however, I have not been able to coax anybody into actually doing a seller financing deal by either cold calling, yellow letters, um, or even suggesting it when I'm putting in offers. It hasn't worked for me yet. However, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't work because I know people that it does work, but um, it's a lot harder for sure. Cool. Is there any other differences between commercial and residential real estate, in, real estate investing that people should know about? I mean, the biggest thing, like I said, is the finances and forcing appreciation. Um, you're definitely able to, you know, the bigger you go, the easier it is to hire property managers and the more that the property can um, absorb that cost, which just frees you up to, you know, look for more properties, which has been a huge lifesaver for me. Um, so, I mean, those are the two biggest things for me as far as um, the benefits when I made that switch. Um yeah, yeah. When I went and hired a property manager for my 15 unit, even my girlfriend Holly was like, "Man, you look like you're you're a lost puppy. You don't have anything to do because they take over everything. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so much time to do my podcast and do my Instagram and start looking for more properties and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of other things for commercial properties. I mean, the the uh, yeah, I, I just feel like everybody in that network is different. The the brokers are different. The contractors handle it differently. Um, property managers handle it differently. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Uh, do you have any advice on picking a good property manager? Use referrals. Um, I've used them before and uh, it's, uh, I, I guess, use referrals and make sure you have somebody who has used them before in the past that had, you know, good luck with them. Um, but also going into it, um, even just picking a random property manager, it doesn't really matter who you pick in the sense that it becomes a different skill set that you need to uh, develop because now you're managing a manager. Um, and that's something that I'm still struggling with right now um, because I like to keep myself hands off. Um, but sometimes that can become uh a problem, you know, like right now, I'll just give you an example. So our new property manager for the 15 unit, great property management company. Um, they're running it great. At least the numbers look good. Um, the only thing is, is like right now, um, th- they have so many properties that I think I'm a little bit lower on the totem pole. So I don't get 
the attention that I think a lot of other people do. So it's me having to reach out to get the monthly financials or it's me having to ask questions when sometimes I think they should be brought to my attention instead of me actually having to manage them. Um, so that that's something that I'm struggling with and trying to figure out, um, you know, and I think the fix for that is just opening up the line of communication, setting up a monthly meeting with them um, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. Cool. Uh, do you feel like having that first house hack and learning how to manage a property yourself gave you an advantage to picking out a property manager and managing that manager? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, when I first did that house, I didn't even know what a lease was. I had to create my own and I took, I went online and took like 15 different leases and put them together myself. And I mean, there's a lot of nuances of property management that you don't know unless you're in it. You know what I mean? You don't know how an eviction process works. You don't know. Um, don't give them the keys before you get a deposit and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of these things are really good to do. Do your house hack, do the management yourself, understand how it works. Cause then yeah, absolutely. When you're going to, to find a, a, a property manager, you know, the questions to ask, you know, how do you handle this? What policies do you have in place for this? You know, I've been burdened with this in the past. How are you going to handle it if it comes on, you know, your radar? Um, so absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, so you have a very successful real estate investing career so far. Uh, I'm sure you're going to go much further. Um, what are your long-term goals in real estate? Um, so this year, my goal is to do one, I hope to do more, but do one large syndication deal of a hundred units or more. That's where I'm trying to get to right now. I think I've gotten my feet wet enough, um, with these smaller commercial properties where I want to jump into the hundred to 115 unit properties for sure. Very cool. Um, so how are you approaching that syndication deal, like mentally and preparation for it and things of that nature. So right now, the, the number one thing for me is I, because I haven't done one of these deals and because of the value of these deals, I'm looking to try and partner with somebody who's done larger properties that can help um, either help financially or management wise, or kind of find the yin and yang type of um, deal with the, uh, with the deal because um you know i can bring the hustle and i have some experience but i want somebody with a little bit more experience that i can partner up with to uh to help develop you know that side of the business that that's great and you know like a lot of people that get started in real estate investing have a mentor uh <laughs> myself like i saw someone house hack it was actually brad our co-host on the show he's not <laughs> here today but i saw him house hacking and working on a house and i learned from him and that's what inspired me and gave me the courage to start doing it Mm -hmm. And I think that's just really cool. You know, you find a partner that knows a lot in syndication, you can learn from them. And then eventually, if you enjoyed that deal, you can go out and do syndication on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's kind of like the same, it's it's a similar path that I had with the house hacking and kind of gave me the, the uh, you know, the courage to go forward with it is I actually, you know, my uncle was kind of looking back on it, I didn't think of it at the time, was kind of my mentor. You know, he had been in the banking industry. I mean, he's still in the banking industry for probably 30, 40 years. So um, when I had a question, I would ask him and he would be able to help me. So if I didn't have somebody like that to help me walk through that process, coupled with the fact that I was already pre-approved, if I didn't have those two pieces to the puzzle, I don't think I ever would have went forward with it. So I'm kind of looking, again, I'm reflecting back on how it worked then to kind of bring that to to fruition into the syndication deal. So I need to figure out the financing, which I've started developing a really good relationship with the bank that did the 15 unit, having lunch with my banker, that sort of thing. 
understanding what their criteria is. Um, so I should be okay with the financing there, but now the, the only piece that I'm missing now is kind of having that partner slash, I hate the word mentor, but have, having somebody there to kind of hold my hand through the process, you know, cause there's a lot of legal uh, implications and, you know, SEC stuff and that sort of thing. So, um, and I'm not familiar with any of that. So there's only so much you can Google. I just, I'd like to have, yeah, have somebody there to kind of hold my hand through it. Uh, is there anything else in this episode that you think uh, would provide value to listeners or anything else I should ask about? Uh, I just reiterate, I just like to reiterate it on every show is just to put in offers. You know, it, it is for some, even when I started, it was the scariest thing, but I don't, it shouldn't be scary because you can always walk away from the, from the offer, you know, so put in offers as much as you awesome. can. Put in offers. Great. Um, okay. So what would you say separates potential house hackers from people who are actually going out and house hacking? Um, I mean, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it, it is not taking that first step to go get the pre-approval. I mean, if you get that pre-approval, there should be zero at least there should be a lot less fear in your mind that you can't close the deal. So, um, yeah, the pre-approval, go get the pre-approval. Awesome. And, and just to add on to that, I want to add on that. Like if you do find that good realtor and you haven't bought a house yet and you're, you know, worried about the process in my case, they helped me out like significantly. Like I didn't know very much going in and they're able to hold my hand through the whole process and help me out and, it really wasn't bad and it wasn't that scary at all. Yeah. And, and that's what they're trained on, you know, cause I mean, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Like there is a process to buying real estate. There's the pre-approval, there's the offer, there's the acceptance, there's the inspections, there's all of these different processes that happen sequentially. And if you've never done a deal before, you have no idea, but you're right. The realtor will help you through that. The bank will help you through that. So develop those relationships and uh, you should, you should be able to get off uh, the sidelines and get into the game. Great. Um, so we love to read books on this show. Uh, we talk about books a lot. Um, our listeners like books. Uh, is there a favorite mindset or business book? So I'm sure you guys have heard it a million times. Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the life changer for me. Um, but I won't give that answer because I'm sure everybody does. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, it wasn't, it's not even a real estate book, but it actually shifted my mindset a lot. Um, was never split the difference. Um, it's all about negotiations. Um, and I read that book, ended up like negotiating like a 10 or $15,000 raise at my job just by using the techniques they had in that book. So I know it works. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of that book. Awesome. Yeah. I read that too. It's a really good book. Um, is there a real estate book that you would recommend as well? Um, I think, yeah, I mentioned it earlier too. I mean, ABC's real estate was a really, really good beginner's book too. I mean, it gives you the processes, how everything works. You know, that's again, how I found out that you owner, um, owner occupancy loans are only 12 months and, and certain little nuances that some other books don't have in it. So I, yeah, that's by Ken McRoy, ABC's real estate. Awesome. Well, uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you have an awesome podcast. Uh, if you want to tell the listeners about that podcast, what it is, and also tell them where else they could find you and find out more about you. Sure. I mean, uh, the main hub is chadduval.com, D-U-V-A-L.com. Um, that has everything on there, all my social uh, links to the podcast. Uh, the podcast is Start. Um, it's all about starting in real estate. Um, we just finished season one. We're getting ready to launch season two in the next uh, couple months. Um, and uh, yeah, chadduval.com, definitely. Awesome. Links are going to be in the description. If you guys want to go check out Chad, 
just go down there, click on the links. I uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. If you could do me a huge favor and go give us a five-star rating on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. It would really help us out. If we provided any value, please go do that. Otherwise, there's a lot of people who haven't subscribed. So go ahead and go subscribe and you'll get notifications when a new podcast episode is released. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day.